After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. We thank you for joining us, whether it's at BaseballAmerica.com or at uh, iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. We want to remind you that we're brought to you by MLB Network, and we also want to remind you that MLB Network has a special offer through Baseball America. And of course, Baseball America is a must-read for baseball fans from high school to the big leagues. And now you can try four issues for just four bucks. Visit www.baseballamerica.com backslash MLB Network for our special MLB Network offer. And JJ, uh, we've both uh, you know gone through all the candidates. Last podcast, you actually took that week off because you were on assignment working was- on our story for minor league player of the year. So yeah. I- couldn't you know, couldn't really say where I was, then it would may have given away where, right. you know, what we were doing. But, right. Uh, no, we we kept that on the down low. So Matt Eddie pinch hit for you. Um, he's slightly less talkative than you are. Gave me a little room to breathe here on the podcast. But uh, Matt and I ran down the top candidates. We would start off with the top ten, but we ended up talking about thirteen or fourteen guys. We had a pretty strong list of a very strong group this year for a minor league player of the year. But where did you go? And whom did you report on for our minor league player of the year? Revealed here on the Baseball America podcast. Flew into Tampa St. Pete, which you can probably figure from that. That means that Jeremy Hellickson is the 2010 Baseball America minor league player of the year. Flying into Tampa St. Pete, your only other choice would have been Matt Moore. So no, that's that would, true. That's true. <laughs> that'd be our strikeout king. Hey, if the second half season had been like the first half season, it wouldn't have. We would have met for a minute and a half. That would have been a, a Matt Moore in a landslide. Although I will say on second half, Jesus Montero. Right. Had a ridiculous second half, and Freddie Freeman had a ridiculous that second is, half. Uh, th- those, are, those are both true. At the same time, Not as good if, as Matt if Moore had had the first half like he had the second half, he'd have been like at, like what, 250 strikeouts? Yeah, even pushing 300, I think, right. actually, which, which no one has done in a long time. That's like Dinger and Dwight Gooden era, you know. I mean. But even if he'd thrown 300 strikeouts this year, I'm guessing that Matt Moore would have remained in high class A based on reading the story you wrote about both Jeremy Hellickson and the way the Rays promote and don't promote and develop pitchers. Because it really seems like, J.J., the biggest reason that Jeremy Hellickson, there are two big reasons why Jeremy Hellickson was our minor league player of the year. One, he's a talented, polished pitcher. And second, the Rays left him in AAA virtually all season. And in most other organizations, uh, he would have been in the major leagues a lot quicker. So talk a little bit about those two aspects, but especially the second one, which I think you really report on very thoroughly, and our next issue of the magazine. Well, it's definitely true. The Rays, for the first eight, nine years of their existence, were the hurry up and get them to the big leagues 
uh, team. I mean, you had like, a good week. <laughs> we'll I promote mean, you. Are you and you even have to sometimes. I mean, they were desperate sometimes. You didn't have to necessarily have a good week. I mean, we you threw a couple them. of good pitches that yeah. that outing. Hey, hey, I saw a good fastball in the fourth inning. You're up. You, you know. flashed three average pitches. <laughs> Come on down. So. And they definitely, and they will admit, like the guys who are in the organization who've been there a long time will say, you know, hey, situation the team was in and all, there was times where they rushed guys. Well, new group came in, you know, Joe Madden took over as manager, Andrew Freeman became the GM, new ownership group, and basically they said, you know what, we want to win here. And if winning involves losing in the short term so we can win down the road, we'll take that pain. And they came up with the idea. One of the things that was quite clear about that was, especially they draft a lot of high school pitchers. If you're a high school pitcher in that organization, you're going to start in rookie ball, you know, or if you're advanced, maybe short season ball, and you're probably going to spend the whole year there. Yeah. The next year you're going to go to low A, and you're going to spend the whole season there. I don't care if you've got a sub-1 ERA. They're probably going to keep you there the whole year. Not a lot of midseason promotions. Right. Now, once you get past that, they'll start maybe speeding it up a little, but a lot of teams look at, for one thing, one thing a lot of teams look at AAA as, you know, if you skip AAA as a pitcher, no big deal. Right. They look at AAA as very important. If you look at all of their pitchers that they've, from all these starting pitchers that they've brought up, and it's pretty impressive, 80% of the starts they've had this year have been by, from homegrown Pitchers. And Matt Garza is the only exception. Right. And they've had and that counts the starts that Jeremy Hellickson's made. That counts the starts Andy Sonestein's made. They have seven pitchers that they, you know, they've used as starters. Six of them are homegrown. Plus. Garza was acquired for a homegrown talent. And plus they have two starters on other clubs. And right. Mitch, well, Mitch Talbot they didn't draft, but they got him when he was in A, And he spent two years for them in AAA. Actually, I guess parts of three seasons in three AAA. Seasons, yeah. And then uh, J- Jason Hamill, a Matt Eddie fave. Was also. Uh, yeah, you know, it was in AAA for a long time with them. And basically, in both of those cases, it was they got they traded them away because hey, out of options, we, out of options, and we don't have room for them here. Yep. And it's really, I mean, it's pretty amazing if you look at it. The the Rays in the past, if you think about it, they have produced. If you count Hellickson as a major league ready starter, and I think we all can agree on that right now. He, I he think went, so. He went three and two ERA in his first four starts. Right. I mean, right. If you count that. In the last five years, they have produced seven big league starters, like who are all none of them have hit free agency yet. Now they had to get rid of again Talbot and you know a couple of those guys, but yeah, Talbot and uh, you know, Hamill, and then but Insonestine's been moved to the pen because they don't have room for him, even though he won 14 games for him two years ago. But even sent down here at September 1st to in order to do some, some roster machinations. Right. You know, and that, and they've got more pitching behind it. But it's really impressive. I mean, what the Rays have done as far as producing pitching in the, you know, in really, I mean, if you want to call it the Andrew Freeman era, if you want to call it the, you know, the the Joe Madden era, or you know, but really, if you call it in the the new Rays, the common era of yeah. the Rays, which really does for me does begin with Andrew Freeman and and uh, Joe Madden in the fall of 2005, 2005, the year that Jeremy Hellickson was uh, drafted, which is amazing that he's been in the minor leagues that long. Uh, you know, I think our other two finalists, we really whittled it down to three. So I think we wound up choosing, well, I don't remember who the other two were. I know Will Myers and Dominic Brown were, Those were the on final, the short list. Was that the final that three? That was the final three. And then, I mean, it was, I thought, you know, you've been doing this longer than I have as far as for the minor league player of the year. But, you it know, I've been the doing best this year for it. eight years. And this was the best to me as far as the debate. Like, 
this was a year where if we'd have picked, I felt like there was six or seven guys who, if you said, if we announced, hey, you know, Dominic Brown's the player of the year. I, I think that's a very defensible choice. If Absolutely. we'd announced, if we'd announced Brandon Belt was player of the year, that's Absolutely. a very defensible choice. If we'd choice. said Devin Mezzarocco was our minor league player of the year, very defensible choice. Defensible. If, if, honestly, if we'd said Matt Moore, <laughs> might have been might have been defensible. Nah, that, that say Isn't his ERA around three seventy something? Yeah, like that? I was gonna say the six ERA for half a season though would make it a little hard to me. Like you know, even with the strikeouts, that would have been to me. You know, especially having Hellickson who. Yeah, in the same organization. Who you know just. I mean, the, the impressive thing with Hellickson is, is he, the numbers he put up this year, you have to throw in the fact that he did that while working on pitches. This was yeah, he not, was bringing in new pitches into his repertoire, no doubt. Right. This was not like the first couple of starts of the season. He was, he was okay. He was very solid. He was working on a slider that they junked. They wanted to see if he would, you know, is the slider something we want to use instead of the curveball? Well, he tightened up the curveball, and then he added a cutter, then he added a two-seamer. But, but he wasn't also... Hard to believe. If you just said, hey, Jeremy Hellickson, need, you need to have the best ERA you can have in AAA this year, he'd have thrown a lot more change-ups. They told right. him, don't throw the change-up so much. We know that that is a plus pitch. We know you can get these guys out with it. But you know what? You're not trying to get these guys out. What we're trying to do is get you ready that when you get to the big leagues, you'll be able to get them out. So two strikes on a guy, don't throw him a change-up. Throw right. him a curveball. Throw him a fastball. And I remember telling you after the last start that I saw, the last game that I did of his, uh, telling you how his best pitch that day, and he didn't even last four innings that game. It was his worst start. But his best pitch that day was his curveball. And you go back to some of our old prospect handbooks, and the curveball was his best pitch uh, right, when he first got he into the minor league. Yeah, he didn't even have the changeup. Uh, talking to him, he said, I, I threw a, a, some form of palm, palm ball. Palm changeup, yeah. And really, I started messing with the circle change, but it took a couple of years you know, he thinks he says that really Columbus is where low A is where it kicked in for him. Talking to the pitching coaches and Dick Bosman, the pitching coordinator, they think more like Double A is where it really became a weapon. Right, and then again in Double A, his first start, five home runs. I remember, you know, just the reaction of the office of that was like, wow, what happened to this guy? Maybe he's in the wall, and maybe Double A is a little bit harder for Jeremy Hellickson. But uh, obviously, he figured Double A out. He figured Triple A out. Small sample size, but so far he's figured out the major leagues too. He's done okay um, with that one. He, he's pretty good. I, I, I think the aptitude is there. Just to have the kind of year that he had at the AAA level while incorporating new pitches in was very impressive. But like you said, I mean, Brandon Belt, uh, Will Myers, Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakas, who's now leading the minor leagues in home runs. Just if we'd waited another week, Moustakas would have been a much yeah. tougher call. I mean, the guy uh, and the guy's had a tremendous season. And uh, you know, I think it was a great year for minor league performances. Not necessarily a great year in terms of minor league talent, but it is a great year in terms of minor league performances. The, and uh, I, I think, I think what it is is the, the leaderboards in the minor leagues usually are filled with a whole lot of guys like John Lindsay's John you know, battling Lindsay's for a batting title. Bozer, John, yeah. yes. John Lindsay's the kind of guy, you know, oh, look, you know. Uh, I think uh, we're going to get a little John Lindsay here at uh, in Cary for the uh, – for, for USA Baseball's yeah. uh, Pan American team, which we're also going to – we could talk about a little bit later in the show. But, but you know, the John Lindsay's of the world. I'm trying to think. It wasn't Mike Jacobs. Who was the uh, former Met who hit, uh, like, 38 home runs a couple of years ago? In Craig Brazell. Craig Brazell. Your boy. Uh, yeah, I should have – I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Can't I, believe you didn't remember Craig Brazell. You know, but that's the kind of – you know, usually those are the guys right. who have the great years. You're right. And, you know, look, I mean, a little insight into this. I mean, we get the whole group together. We go through the, you know, final Spreadsheet central. And then we talk it out, basically, as a group. We try to come to a group consensus where not everyone's going to necessarily say that was my first choice. Yeah. But, 
but we and go around the room, give us your top three, we add it up, and then we see, okay, is there a clear winner? And but the, the first time we did it, we really just kind of had a clear ten, basically eight, nine, ten. And then we just kept adding guys to it. We voted, and then we it. kept that, and that's the problem. And the, we kept adding guys to it, and you know, really took a a, a third meeting, basically, where we kind of said, well, if you name this guy, if you if this guy's your best choice, well, then this other guy had just the same kind of year. You know, there was a lot of canceling out. We had a hard time, as, as Matt and I discussed in the podcast last week, very difficult time separating out the hitters from each other. And eventually wound up with three or four, like we said, finalists, and uh, you know, really just voted, kind of a straight vote. Right. And what we, when we did, it was a pretty close vote, as it was, I recall. It was, but there was enough. There was definitely a clear gap between. It was like it one was one or one. two points. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it would have been tougher for us. We had if, a clear one, a clear two, a clear three. Right. If one had been, one and two had been right there together, we may have even I think talked about it a little bit more. Right. Like, hey, you know, like right. okay, let's continue. But. We talked it through, we did vote, and then it was pretty clear that, like, the general consensus was that Jeremy Helkson was number one. And especially the big thing that came down to was, you know, we've had years where, not knockdown drag out, but we've had people who are ve- felt very strongly one yes. way or another, and we've had to kind of, you know. Finesse that a little bit. Yeah, that's it. been but difficult. This year, the, the people who believe that Dominic Brown should win it were very much like, but if Jeremy Hellickson wins it, I'm not going to complain. Yeah. The people who thought Jeremy Hellickson were going to win it, it wasn't like if you said even you said like Will Myers is going to win it, that those people are going to go, no, this is an outrage. Yeah, I think we had a lot of people who would have been satisfied with four or five guys. I will say Brandon Belt was probably the most controversial, I would say, candidate. Because to me, I think we think that Brandon Belt's a guy, but that Brandon Belt, if I had to draw a parallel, is closer to a Brandon Wood or closer to a Jeremy Reed, guys who had monster minor league seasons, but not for whom we did not pick because we picked their prospect who maybe didn't have was a better prospect maybe didn't have as good of a season right. but still had a great season right and that's one thing we sh- should make clear with this when we pick minor league player of the year prospect status does matter oh, we yeah. are not picking the guy prospect, who had the best year we are I, picking a combination of we're picking a great prospect who had a great year yeah and i mean uh, Brandon Bell probably had the best season of any minor leaguer this year um, I can't think of anybody else who had one better, although Moustakas' year is pretty close. The, the, the thing that's – Belt's the, on base is so much higher. Uh, belt's on base is so much higher, and the other thing is, is it's just hard when it comes to Moustakas. The reason that you – know, The like, home road. The home road when he was in A, you could, as we've said before, talking in the you know, office, you could fit Nephi Perez's OPS <laughs> in the difference between his home OPS and his road OPS. You could fit Tony Perez, Tony Pena Jr.'s OPS and his ERA you, you agree, yeah, in there. Yeah, you could. <laughs> you squeeze know. those together on the Baseball America podcast with John and J.J., and you could uh, you could fit a normal middle infielder in the middle. I mean, of you really could because it was like a fourteen hundred or so OPS at home, and it was like a seven uh, or I want to say seven hundred and fifty or so on the road. I mean, I'm don't say it was my, close. But no, it, it was like thirteen. It was like six hundred point difference. We want to remind you that BaseballAmerica.com is having our summer clearance sale. Books have been marked down as much as forty percent off the cover price. So if you visit BaseballAmerica.com backslash store. You can get our top three 2010 bestsellers for only 23.95. That's the Almanac, the Prospect Handbook, and I believe the third bestseller directory. is the Directory. Yes. To get the Almanac, the Directory, and the Prospect Handbook for 23.95, and uh, September's not a bad time. Even if you don't have a Prospect Handbook, September's not a bad time to get it to follow some September call-ups. Uh, but JJ, back to the show and back to Jeremy Hellickson. Um, I think one of the really neat parts of your reporting on that was just. Uh, 
you, know, you talk to every one of his pitching coaches that he's ever had. I have gotten Bill Maloney. Not, not everyone. I'm yeah, sorry. I, say, I missed out on Bill Maloney, who had him in Columbus, and uh, Rafael Montalvo. The but best. He had about six six innings, right? The best I can figure out. Six innings in Princeton. The best I can figure out. He's in uh, Spain, so That's we right. weren't able to track him down. But otherwise, you tried your Skype a little bit more. Well, I was going to say, but otherwise, um, <laughs> we uh, we. That's, and that's one of the things that jumped out is, is that you now Xavier Hernandez has announced that he's leaving the organization to go coach in, in college. Ball. I think it was a protest over the fact that AAA Durham's uh, playoff rotation right now is going to include Ramon Ortiz and Bobby Livingston. <laughs> but, but Livingston threw well last night. But that's one of the things that really jumped out that did jump out in reporting this. Like For one, it was very fascinating to see that all, essentially every other pitching coach except for his six innings in Princeton – we're st- are still working in the organization this year. That's, That's impressive continuity, right. no doubt. But another thing that jumped out was their farm director and their scouting director are both original Rays. I mean, uh, R.J. Harrison and Mitch Lukovic go back to when they came in the, when the they road. came into being. And the impressive part of that is is that they both came to their jobs when Friedman took over as GM. That is interesting. But quite clearly. The new, you know, Friedman and all, when they came in. Now, Friedman had been there a couple of years working right. in the office. But instead of coming in and saying, look, you know, this team's been awful. We're, we're cleaning house. What do, you they know, did, do you know what OPS is? No, you're out of here. Yeah, the, yeah. He looked around and basically, okay, I think that guy's, you know, that's what I'm looking for in a scouting director. That's what I'm looking for in a farm director. Dick Bosman's been a long time, you know, now for yep. several years, their pitching no coordinator. So there was a continuity there. And with that, one of the things that comes with that is is that there's a generally a a feeling of camaraderie. I mean, like the pitching coaches all get together during spring training every day, and they talk about what they're working on with different pitchers and all. That's and when they when it comes to deciding, okay, who's going where and all, their input is taken. You know, I had multiple pitching coaches say to me, one of the things I love about here is that they, you know, that Bozzi, as they call him, Dick Bosman, he lets a pitching coach be a pitching coach. And what they meant by that was there isn't there's there is a philosophy that the Rays have, but as far as the day to day, they're given freedom to coach. It's not something where essentially they're being told, they're, yeah, it's not cookie cutter approach, and they're not being told this is what you know. Hey, you're going to teach the change up this right, way, right? You know whether you believe in it or not. No more wire hangers. There's under that. Right. There's there is a, a as they keep saying. Like I had multiple guys say the same things to me. So quite Which clearly, is cool, yeah. you know. But there is a a they kept kept calling it a freedom to be a pitching coach where you don't sit there and go, "Am I teaching this?" And then they're going to come back and tell me that I'm doing this wrong. I think it's pretty impressive that the Ray, those, those guys, just take the seven guys we talked about, they're homegrown starters. You have two guys who are elite college pitchers who were drafted with single-digit picks, Jeff Neiman and David Price. So they, they know how to get those guys. Uh, they have a fringy college guy, Andy Sinistein. He was like a 13th, 18th right. round pick. They know Not a tough guy. They got him to the big leagues. He got there very quickly. High school guys, check. Hellickson. Double-digit draft pick, check. James Shields and, and Sonnenstein. And by the way, another... Lefties, righties. And when we talk about Matt Moore, we just mentioned. High that's school. An, that's an eighth-round pick. And that was an eighth-round pick who was an eighth-round pick because everyone thought he was an eighth-round pick. Yeah, not basically. A, not a first-rounder who didn't fell. He fall. He signed for slot. He signed for $125,000 in the eighth round, I believe. But that's what the Rays have done. They It ties in with this. The patient approach. One of the things that the patient approach they feel lets them do is take projectable high school pitchers 
who have a lot of velocity and no idea where it's going right. and say, okay, look, we're going to be able to give them the time to hopefully start to figure out where it's going. And then after that, we'll, you know, we'll put them at levels where they're not going to be completely overwhelmed. Yeah, let that way, Davis, by the way, another high school guy. Yeah. They just, you know, that, but that's, you know, that's what, I mean, look. They, now they have more on the way because it's not just Matt oh, Moore yeah. at Charlotte. you got Alex Cobb. And uh, Joe Cruz, right? Yeah, Alex Cobb, Cobb at Double A. Cobb's at Double A. Joe Cruz is at High A. You've got Nick Barnice. You've got they actually. Uh, I'll be having a post on this. Uh, the big lefty to watch, I think, for them will be the uh, the kid from uh, Arizona, Alex Torres. No, Alex Torres. Uh, Kyle Lobstein. Right. Kyle Lobstein. They got they got out, but you Alex Torres and you know. And, they, and, and then here in Triple A, ready for the postseason if they ever gets the call. Jacob Jake McGee, McGee, I believe, is strike out of the walk right now in Triple A is twenty three to one or twenty three to two. Oh, he, it's hard years. to imagine he's not going to, you know, come up there and be a very useful lefty for them for, you know, for the stretch run here. I mean, yeah, the last pitch the other day was 96, uh, just overpowered. I forget who he yeah. overpowered, but it was, just easy, it was easy 96, his last pitch, and the power breaking balls, 79 to 81, and 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 and, and good. But 96, no, 96 yeah. is a 96 is an 80 on the 20 to 80 scale. Unfortunately, though, it's also only a 30 on the oldest Chapman scale. scale. I think it depends on the scale. Because for me, 94, 97, that feels more like a 7. 97 and 100 has got to be an 8. Uh, it depends on which, like, Chapman, then it's still a 9. Yeah. Actually, or 11, you know. But uh, That's right. Yeah, no. He, goes, he, he breaks. He, pe- he pegs the meter. And that's, that's the other part of all this pitching, talking about Alex and, and J.J. and I obviously both have a, a little bit of a passion for pitching. So you might want to settle in here on the baseball America yeah. podcast. This might go a little bit longer <laughs> than planned. Grab some popcorn. But um, yeah, well, the big news. I've got to go pick up my kid in a little while, so <laughs> we're going to be safe. Well, the news of the month, though, J.J., has been pitching. Uh, Tim Lincecum in August, awful. Uh, Steven Strasburg, ow, done. Aroldis Chapman. Or done Chapman, for now. Done thing. for now. Aroldis Chapman, holy cow, did I just really <laughs> just see that. I'm very skeptical about this. Holy cow, I just saw that. <laughs> and then I just saw it again. So we've had a very eventful month of pitching uh, in, in, in the month yeah. of August, and now in September starts. So let's start with Lincecum, because I have my uh, yeah, own I'm little gonna, revelation. Yeah, I, I'll let you you take the Lincecum, because this is something, this is John's column. He worked on this for the issue that we just finished up. You'll be seeing it on the website shortly also. I, I just love the fact that Lincecum uh, struggled so badly, and that his father's advice to him apparently did include, hey, uh, you need to to start your long toss again, Which, and he me, did, and he me, did return to his long toss. Let me interject to say that John, if you said what John's, uh, you know, if John was a fighter pilot, his call sign would be long toss. <laughs> Probably would be. Uh, thanks, Maverick. This is uh, <laughs> this is pole to pole here. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the but the thing about it is, I talked to Barry Zito about three weeks ago, and I asked him straight up, is I asked him about the fraternity of long tossers, and he talked about it. You know, but he said that. I asked who he long tosses with on the team. He said, usually, almost always, Guillermo Moda. And he was he's like, oh, power, you know, really? power arm guy. He's like, and, and also has a good changeup, which advocates of long toss say that uh, doing the long toss gives you such feel for your arm, it also helps you throw a better changeup. And Trevor Bauer is a good example about the UCLA right-hander. And so is Lincecum, whose changeup has improved by leaps and bounds as a pro. But he, I pointedly then followed up and said, so not Lincecum. And so I don't really want to talk about Timmy. You know, that's, that's up to Timmy. So first I just said in my head, Timmy. Then I just thought, okay, file that away. Um, so then you see the news article that Lincecum, yeah, he did return to, to, to long tossing. Who did he long toss with? Barry Zito. And then what did he do? He came out in his next start. He actually hit 93, which shouldn't be news, but for Tim Lincecum in August and September it was. 
and uh, pitched eight innings, nine strikeouts against the Rockies. And, you know, if the Giants are going to make the playoffs, they need Tim Lincecum close to what Tim Lincecum has yes, been. Yeah. Now, I just talked to a couple people. I've talked to two or three guys up for this pitching story I'm working on for a prospect pulse. And there's definitely mixed reactions out there about the benefits and the not benefits of uh, long toss. I definitely would say that I'm, I'm probably, even just after today, after talking to a, someone who's not an advocate and who actually does not believe in airing it out or going above shoulder to shoulder, you know, does not believe in nonlinear throwing, he had good reasons. He had the best reasons yet for someone I've talked to who, was not a, who, who argued against monster long toss. So I'm less uh, dogmatic about it, but I just think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Because Barry Zito said I stopped long tossing when I first signed with the Giants in 2008. And when I was at my bottom point, I called my guy and we started long tossing again. And, you know, within a year he was back to being kind of the old Barry Zito. And in 2009 he had a better year. And this year, the first half, he was excellent. I'm not sure what's, what's going on with Barry in the second half of the season. But Lincecum, you know, if, if long tossing saves his season, I'll be fascinated to watch because the Giants have been a very dogmatic organization against it, and yet at the same time, the Giants are extremely good at drafting and developing pitching. And there's well, no other way to put it. To me, like, you know. Talk about homegrown. But the thing that jumps out to me when it comes to pitching is, is that the best thing that I've heard, you know, because – Obviously, I, I don't have any original ideas on this. I just talk yeah. to people. You know, yeah. you know, we just we just try to talk to people Neither who do know I, pitching. Absolutely. But someone said to me, "It's like if you ever if you ever talk with certainty about pitching, then I know that you don't know what you're talking." That's about. exactly what I heard today. Same exact same thing from one of the guys I talked to today. I was like, anybody who said they knew Strasburg was going to get hurt doesn't know what they're talking about. Anybody who said they knew X pitcher was going to get hurt. They don't know what they talk about. You can have but also anyone who flaws. said they knew that someone wasn't going to get hurt would also not know what they're exactly talking about. That's exactly right. That's exactly the right. The thing about it is, is that you can have – there's so wide a range of what you can do and fail what you can do and succeed because right. what works for one guy doesn't work for another. Here's a great analogy that I had on that today. You can have a bent rim on your wheel, and you can drive that car 90 miles an hour for a, a while. Now, you, it might be a rough ride, but your car might make it. It might not. But there's a chance that it's going to make it, and there's a chance that it won't. And then, especially compared to the bent, the other car that has a regular rim. But what you, whatever, what other information is there here? Uh, how, what kind of tires do you have? What kind of car do you have? You know, do you have really good tires, or do you have some of those tires that were on Ford Explorers a few years back? Yeah. You know, so there's a big, there's right. so many other variables we right. don't know. The mechanics are important. That's what the analogy was to pitchers' mechanics. Mechanics are important. Arm action is important. What a guy does on his front side is important. Uh, where he is and his ba- how balanced he is. But so genetics are important, too. But genetics are important. So are a lot of other things that we don't know. So and that's you a, can't, yeah. In, in, how about past workload? I mean, that's one concern people have with Tim Lincecum. It might not have to be long toss. It might be the fact that the first time he wrote about Tim Lincecum, he was a senior in high school, and Alan Simpson did his Washington draft report and wrote that five foot nine, 155-pound Tim Lincecum pitches every game for his team. You know, I mean, yeah, he did it. And I'm sure it helped him hone his command and throw harder and all these right. things. I'm sure but, it did help him. But what that is, does, that, does that increase the likelihood that Tim Lincecum is going to be a, a, a comet? And he's going to he's going to be short. have a brilliant but short-lived career. I think it does. I think that's very fair to say that his workload. We've all heard, and I think we've talked about on this show, the Kerry Wood pitching both ends of a doubleheader in high school. You know, Daisuke Matsuzaka. Yeah. 
he pitched he threw th- 250 innings, uh, 250 pitches in three games over four days in high school, and he survived it. But he have been the same guy without doing that, probably, because the talent's the talent. If you believe that, the talent's the talent. It would have shown through. That didn't necessarily make him better. It built the legend, but didn't make him better. Didn't make him who he is, and may have shortened his career in the long run. May be one right. factor that impedes him in making adjustments at the big league level. Maybe he just isn't physically able to make them because he lost some of his arm strength back in uh, Tokyo. So we just don't know. There's a bigger picture. It's not just mechanics. It's not just long toss. It's not just any one aspect. Right. And and the thing with that is is that you don't know, but you can have – now, and that's where this gets really interesting and where it gets difficult when you, if you're a pitching coach or whatever because while you don't know, you can have ideas. Yeah, and, and so, you can have strong ideas and right. formed ideas. Right, and so like when we talk about mechanics, well – one of the things that you heard several years ago was like, oh, this guy's throwing across his body. We're going to fix that. And it seems like it, – it, maybe I'm off on this, but it seems like that the, the Tim Stauffer-Kyle Sleeth year yeah. is the year that basically, because of the cautionary tales of them, since then teams are a little less likely to say, oh, we're going to just fix that. Because, you know what, if a guy's been throwing away for 10 years or whatever, he's got a lot of muscle memory, and you just say, oh, we're going to straighten you up. Yeah, well, I think Andrew Miller is an example of a guy who threw across his body a little bit, and they've tried to quote unquote fix him, and he's been lost in the wilderness for a year or two. Right now, at the same time, that doesn't say that throwing across your body is not a bad necessarily a bad thing. Same way, an arm wrap in the back, not not something that if you said, "Hey, I'm going to program a pitcher right. that you'd want to do." Zito's got a wrap. Now but, he's still pretty pretty loose and pretty free, but he's got a wrap in the back too. You wouldn't teach. Right. You know, Abado Jimenez is. His mechanics are absolutely. Are, a bottle of mechanic, Jimenez's mechanics are such that if you said, "Okay, let me diagram a guy that I don't want you to follow," I think his mechanics are okay. I think it's the, the arm, yeah, the, the arm, arm action, the and arm what action. he does in the back. Yeah. But, that's definitely funky. But if you're athletic enough, and if you do it long enough, there are guys who you know can repeat that. Because that's really with with a lot of this stuff, what it comes down to is, right. can you basically become kind of like a robot where you can wrap it, you can, you know, you can stab it or yeah. whatever, but can you stab it every time the right. same way? Right. So that your arm is basically coming through at the same time, releasing from the same release point every time. Or do you stab a little longer, you know, a little shorter? Right. And so then with that, that your arm isn't coming through at the same speed, and then it's not releasing necessarily at the same point. That's all. It all fits together. Right. And so that's when you talk about a guy has got perfect mechanics. A lot of what they're talking about is is that he doesn't have any of those extraneous parts yeah. that cause potential command are, issues. Some people think as view as red flags, and other people view other things as red flags. And I did talk to a couple people about the you know, with Strasburg about the, the inverted, inverted w. w, and you know Don Cooper, who I respect a lot, the White Sox pitching coach. He came out pretty strongly last week and said, "Yeah, that's a red flag for me. I don't look for that at all. I don't want to see that." One of the guys I talked to about it today agrees. But he didn't. That is not why he thought Strasburg got hurt. He said there were he thought there were things on the front side of Strasburg's delivery that he thought contributed. And then he also again talked about workload in the past. And one of the things he said was like, "Here's a guy who struck out 23 guys in a game against metal bats. To do that, you have to throw breaking stuff." He said, "No matter how hard you throw with metal bats, guys will catch up to you. Good hitters, Division One hitters, will time it and will catch up with a metal bat." And uh, so. He just, you know, he said he's not, I'm not trying to blame. He said I'm not trying to blame his college coaches or anything, 
But he had to throw a lot of breaking balls to get that many strikeouts for two years in college. It's just it is what it is. So he thought that was more the cause than maybe the inverted W. But he did say that he looked for that, and he has he's building basically da- you know information that leads him to make that a red flag. So there, there's you know there's some there there. But the, the interesting thing with that is is that, and I asked this question to you when we were just talking or before we you know did the podcast. Say you're the scouting director for the Nationals. Yeah. And you know all this. You say, you know what? I don't like the inverted W. Right. I don't like how many sliders he threw in college and all that. I don't think that that changes one bit of what you do. Because I don't think it can either. Because the reality of it is, is that Strasburg was so clearly the number one player in last year's draft. I mean, there was yeah. the drop from him to number two was... No offense to Dustin Ackley or Tyler Matzik But or it was else. mammoth. It was. And you know what? You in don't know. Of, Even if yeah. you think he's going to probably get hurt down the road. Even if you think that, well, for one. You don't know it. You, you don't know it. And if it is, you don't know if it's going to be year one. You don't know if it's going to be year three. You don't That's know if right. it's going to be year six. You if know, it's year six and he's. <clears throat> you just shrug your shoulders and go, hey, what a right, ride. Exactly. And we hope we get him back after it. I was saying, uh, if he's a free agent and somebody else wants to take care of it, be our guest. Absolutely. Right. No, the I same agree. way, like, let's say that Tim Linscombe. I don't think this is true, but let's say that he's done. Let's say somehow that his arm is just never, you know, right. which I don't think. I don't think were, so either. It's a true yeah. hypothetical here. Sure. If that's the case, he's been great for the job. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know. Uh, there's no doubt. And he still would have been better than Billy Rowell at nine for the Orioles or several and, other guys who were drafted right. ahead and, of him in 2006. You know, like, pretty much I'll everyone take, but Evan Longoria. I'll, I'll take it one more step. Like when we about a roll this Chapman, and they're talking about, you know, is that just, is he throwing beyond the limits of the human body? Which is a legit question. It's a legit question. When you but see 104, it's a legit question. When you see one, you know, although I'll say this. It brings a smile to JJ's face. I, it's like, <laughs> it's just fun to watch. Oh, I mean, no it is insane to watch a guy, like, you know, to see a guy throw that hard. But say that's true. If I'm the Reds, I, you know, especially when we're talking that, okay, say that his, his elbow is going to blow out down the road. And say there's a 50% chance if he throws 104 and there's a, 25% chance. Again, this is just, I'm just making sure, up my yeah, yeah. And a 25% if he throws 96. Well, you know what? You know, there's a, you don't know the numbers that I just made up right. there. You don't know the risk factor difference there. Yeah. And part of what makes Aroldis Chapman, Aroldis Chapman is that he has this insane, you know, Oh, yeah. 104 mile an hour, 105 mile an hour fastball. Well, he put some fear into the rest of the National League in his first two starts. There's no, I mean, first two outings. There's no doubt. Everybody's seen those highlights. All the hitters are hearing about it and knowing about it. There's no doubt. That you know, so it's that's one of those things. It's like, you know what? I still want the guy who has the insane stuff. And if he gets hurt at some point, that's if you're the pitcher himself, that really sucks. It's kind of amazing to throw an 86, 87 mile an hour slider and have it be. 10, 12, 15 miles an hour slower than your fastball. That's almost incomprehensible. And, I hadn't seen and by it, having it break like it's breaking, too. I mean, it, yeah, it's pretty I ridiculous. Mean, it's always good to see someone pen, up to the hype. Out of the pen. You know, we talked about this with Strasburg, you know, when he had his first start. <laughs> Enjoy Chapman now because That's right. we never know how long you're going to see. Because right now what you're seeing at Chapman, you're seeing something unique. There's never been a lefty in the big leagues Absolutely. who's thrown as hard as he does. No. In the, in the history, there are, you know, there are maybe you could Close. Argue, Randy Johnson was close. But he, but Randy Johnson, yeah, and never, never, never saw one. Randy working out of the pen on a regular basis and all. So, that, yeah. But 
but you're, what you're seeing here, like there are right-handers who you can argue, oh, you know, we don't know of Bob Feller. Right. But like Rob Nen threw really hard on a TV gun that was jacked. Right. You know, like uh, Matt Lindstrom throws hard. Joel right. Zumaier. But Joel Zumaier is, you know, like uh, the current, you know, like Zumaier is the guy who, you know, right. like J.R. Richard, you know. Right, exactly. Nolan Ryan, obviously. But when you're talking lefties. Uncharted territory. You know, Steve, we never saw Steve Dalkowski play in the big leagues. So That's if right. you want to say big league, you, you, you've got a category. You narrow there. things down quite a bit. Yeah, it's unique. It's completely unique. That's one of the things that makes it fun. I think we're in for some, still here in September, some decent pennant races. I think J.J. will, the Padres are collapsing in the National League West. So the Giants are going to try to make their run out there. Uh, the only problem with the Rollers Chapman is the Cardinals have choked on it. So right. I mean, the, the Reds are running away with the Central now. Right. And in the, uh, in the East, I mean, you still got, you know. Braves and Phillies are going to go down to the wire, and the Phillies have to Although, hold off the Giants for a playoff. I was going to say, spot. the danger of that is, is that if the Braves and Phillies keep playing like they've been playing recently, a little less drama because there's a lot more drama if two teams are battling and yeah. it's not for, oh, well, one of us will win and one yep. of us will be the wild. It would help if the, if the teams in the West, the Padres and the Giants, both started playing better. And the American League, obviously, Texas. It looks like it's Tampa and, and New York. And I guess uh, we'll see if Manny Ramirez can get the good guys in position. I still to get think to, the uh, Twins are. I think the Twins are in, in great shape, and I loved the uh, Brian Fuentes trade for them. Sorry to see Luke Van Milgo. That's a seven-foot-one pitcher for another conversation, another Baseball America podcast. You can send your emails into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Next time on the podcast, we will start going over some of our league top twenty lists, just the process of how yeah, we the, do it. We won't, we don't have those for another couple of weeks, actually. Thankfully, because but we're all we, reporting we all are, the heck out of we're it. Working, yeah, yeah, but right we're all now. reporting the heck out of it. So we have uh, the information uh, continues to flow in to the Baseball America offices. We also will have a po- <coughs> excuse me a podcast soon on our summer college league lists and our high school showcases from the summer. Right. So myself, Aaron Fitt, Nathan Rohde, Connor Glassy, we're going to have a draft 2011 roundtable podcast coming up probably next week. And just to let you know, as far as web stuff, um, you know, we're rolling out our minor league player of the year. This is going to post on Friday. We're rolling it out Friday. Obviously, we just told you who it's yep. going to be. We have our hot sheet. We have our last regular hot sheet of the year, I yeah, believe. The penultimate hot sheet of the year, but the and last then, regular season hot And sheet. then we'll have, you know, we're going to have at least a, a hot sheet of some form next week. You know, after that it gets a little tougher because you're down to fewer and fewer teams. No playoff hot sheet? And then, but also next week, talking about those league top 10s, those league top 20s, we'll have uh, next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we will have the, uh, we will roll out all of our summer college league uh, ah, top summer 10s college and top leagues, 30s. Which I believe we will start off with the Cape Cod League. Cape Cod League on Tuesday, a top 30 as always. Northwoods League and and I think eight other leagues on Wednesday. We went crazy. Top 20 Northwoods League this year. We might even go top 15 in the Cal Collegiate League, which would be a shocker. Unprecedented. That would be unprecedented. We want to remind you that the ultimate 2011 Baseball America reference books are ready for pre-order. You reserve your books now, and we'll ship them first as soon as they come hot off the press. Go to BaseballAmerica.com backslash store and choose among the new 2011 publications, such as the Prospect Handbook, Almanac, Directory, Super Register, and the 2011 Great Parks Calendar. Get the advantage of your fantasy league and be the first to get your books. Visit BaseballAmerica.com backslash store. It's the Baseball America podcast brought to you by MLB Network. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, 
tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.